Uh, if you have your Bibles with you, please turn with me to the book of John. We are still in chapter 1. We will almost be done, but John chapter 1, uh, verses 35 to 42. John chapter 1, verses 35 to 42. And if you're taking notes, uh, the title of the message is, What Are You Seeking in 2020? What Are You Seeking in 2020? So let's all stand as we uh, depend on the authority of God's word as we read uh, the scripture together. John chapter 1, verse 35. The next day again, John the Baptist was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two, two, two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, so you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. You guys may be seated. Why don't you all pray with me one more time. Father, I want to thank you so much for this morning. Despite the different struggles and the sufferings or the pain that we go through in our lives, we are thankful that we can come like this as broken people uh, to depend on your perfect word. Would you speak to us the ways that we need to hear, the words that we need to hear. Uh, speak to us clearly, Lord, uh, so that we may be convicted to not only apply these messages into our lives, but to really live out the gospel. Thank you again, Lord. We love you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So what are you seeking in year 2020? Uh, as you guys know, today is our first Sunday of our, or not only a new year, but a new decade. It's kind of crazy, right? Year 2020 is a new decade. So with a new year, we're off to a fresh start, a new beginning. For some of us, a new chapter of our lives as we uh, are going to be now transitioning from uh, being a work profe- working professional to going back to school. And for some of us, uh, perhaps we'll be graduating and moving to a different geographic location. Uh, and with a new year, we often have this uh, sense of new hope, right? A fresh start, a new hope, and many make New Year's resolutions to start off the year. Uh, so if, especially like if you go to the gym right now, it's packed. But they say it will die, die down after a few weeks, right? A lot of people make these New Year's resolutions, but the sad reality is that although it's only January 5th, although it's only been five days, some of us have already failed to keep our resolutions. I know that I've already failed multiple times, even just this year alone. Have any of you guys made New Year's resolutions? Uh, according to a survey conducted in December of, December, uh, December of 2019, nearly 30%, meaning three out of 10 people, uh, three, of, three out of 10 people in America said they plan to make New Year's resolution for the year 2020. And some of the most popular resolutions are to exercise more, maybe some of us, to save money, eat healthy, or to lose weight. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but I've tried all of them during my short 35 years, and I've failed in all of them. 
uh, and keeping all of them, or any of them, uh, year in and year out. Uh, so what are some of your New Year's resolutions? Or what are some commitments that you made during this new year? Or what are some of your goals for this year? Or if I were to borrow a line from Jesus in today's passage, what are you seeking in year 2020? If you joined with us during our previous weeks, we looked at how John the Baptist was testifying, was sharing with the people that were gathered around Jordan River about who he was and who he was not. He was very sure of his identity. Right? He was very sure that he was not the Messiah. He was not the Elijah, nor the prophet like Moses. Even when everyone was giving him credit and calling him Christ or the Messiah, the anointed one, he declared that he was not the Messiah. But rather, John testified all the more who he was. He was simply a voice crying out in the wilderness that was sharing and pointing others to the Messiah himself, who was Jesus. John the Baptist then goes on to share regarding who Jesus was. Jesus is the Messiah. But not only that, we see in chapter 1 that he was the word who became flesh to pitch a new temple among us so that in him we have this new beginning, this new identity, this new start as God's beloved, beloved children. And, the John, and John the Baptist adds to that in verse 29, saying that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Last week we said how Jesus is the sacrificial lamb mentioned in Isaiah 53. He's the Passover lamb mentioned in Exodus, as well as the victorious lamb in Revelation. And in today's passage, we see John the Baptist, along with two of his followers, two of his disciples, two of his closest people, encountering Jesus in a personal and intimate way. And as they encounter Jesus, this is what Jesus asks. What are you seeking? Or in other words, what are you looking for? What do you want? Friends, there are many things we seek for in our daily lives. Some of us spend their, our entire lives pursuing wealth and riches and comfort and security. Others are fully devoted to improving themselves. Right? If you look at the popular news resolutions, exercise more, save money, Right? Eat healthy. A lot of that is self-improvement. You guys know like the top-selling books, the best-selling books every year, year in and year out is self-help books. Others are fully devoted in improving themselves, their looks, their status, their skill set. But as I meditate upon today's passage, I believe God teaches us biblical things. Things that followers of Jesus or disciples of Jesus ought to seek after. The true things that we should seek after as followers of Christ. And my hope and prayer is that each and every one of us in this room would be challenged and convicted to seek after these things rather than the things of the world. There's nothing wrong with eating healthy. There's nothing wrong with saving money. There's nothing wrong with exercising. But my prayer is that we will make this a priority to seek first the kingdom of God, rather than the things of this world. So first, seeking to prioritize Jesus over self. Seeking to prioritize Jesus over self. When you look with me in verses 35 to 37, we see John the Baptist standing with two of his disciples, and Jesus walks by. 
And although the two of Jesus' disciples, had, uh, John's disciples, had no idea who, who Jesus was, John the Baptist was, uh, was aware because this was the Christ, the Lamb of God that he's been preparing people for all his life. So can you imagine? John the Baptist is chilling with two of his, uh, two of his followers. And all of a sudden, this dude walks by. You have no idea who that is, but John the Baptist knew that it was Jesus Christ. How would you feel? Jesus, uh, John the Baptist is like, this dude, is, this is Jesus. This is the Lamb of God. So John the Baptist turns to his disciples and reminds them that this is Jesus, the Lamb of God that I was talking about yesterday. This is Jesus that I spent my entire life, I committed my whole life preaching about and sharing about. But friends, what's fascinating about this initial encounter is how there was no hesitation or reluctance from John's disciples, right? If you look at today's passage from verses 35 to 37, we see that John the, John the Baptist and his disciples are walking or hanging out. Jesus walks, walks by, and then, yes, Lydia, his followers, John the Baptist's followers become Jesus' followers, Right? Random, right? Jesus, John the Baptist and two of his disciples are hanging out. Jesus walks by. Two disciples now become Jesus' followers. There's no reluctance, no hesitation from John's disciples. They just jumped the ship. They kind of look like bandwagon, right? They were once disciples of John the Baptist, but now they are disciples of Jesus Christ. They must have either been really naive or really devoted to John because as soon as John called out that the man that just walked by was Jesus, the Lamb of God, at once they followed Jesus. They don't even question John the Baptist and they don't even test to see if Jesus is indeed all that he was hyped up to be. But before we give any credit to these two disciples who immediately followed Jesus, Perhaps the reason why there was not much description about the initial encounter was so that we can focus on John the Baptist and what he had just done. What did John the Baptist just do? Now imagine with me, John the Baptist was perhaps one of the most popular human beings back then. One of the most popular human beings trending on all platforms with so many followers as some even called him the Christ. But despite all the fame, despite all the popularity, despite all the attention that he received, as soon as Jesus shows up, John the Baptist at once points his disciples to Jesus. John the Baptist at once tells his followers to stop following me and to start following Jesus Christ. And through this initial encounter, we see how John the Baptist was seeking to prioritize Jesus over himself, despite all the temptations surrounding him. For John the Baptist, there was nothing more important in his life than to point people to Jesus, even at the cost of losing his followers. Maybe for some of us, we get the fact that we should be pointing others to Jesus Christ. But then what if... As we point others to Jesus, they no longer benefit you. You see, for John, he was well aware of his purpose, the calling to lead people and to guide people to the Christ, to the Savior, to the Lamb of God, who is the only one that has the ability to take away the sin of the world. Although John the Baptist had all the spotlight on him, he knew that, he was simply a voice. 
an arrow that ought to point to Jesus Christ. But friends, if you're anything like me, a human being who is not perfect, who is sinful, who is broken, this is so hard to do, isn't it? There's something about receiving praise from people. There's something about receiving attention, receiving appreciation from people that really makes you feel good, doesn't it? Like melts my heart when I do something for Lydia and she smiles, right? For some of us, when we do something for someone and they appreciate you, even if you don't do anything, right? Even if it's like a false appreciation or false honor and glory, like, oh my gosh, you like changed the world. You like saved the world. You're like, did I do that? Okay, yeah, no, thank you. It makes you feel good when people lift you up, when people praise you and honor you and appreciate you and give you attention. And at that time, I'll be the first to admit that because of this, we are tempted to prioritize our own selfish desires over Jesus maybe 10 times out of 10. Even going back to some of our New Year's resolutions, most if not all of our resolutions are for personal gain, more than prioritizing Jesus, isn't it? Even, dare I say, your spiritual resolutions are for personal gain. I'm going to read the Bible this whole year. I'm going to pray five minutes a day. I'm going to evangelize to one person a, a month. Yes, part of that is for the glorification of God, but part of that, if we were to really... Be honest. It's so that we can feel good about ourselves. It's so that we can receive praise from people. Sure, we can try to justify in our heads, but at the end of the day, it's so that we can feel better about ourselves and receive praise, attention, and appreciation by others. And maybe for some of us, more important, receiving appreciation or attention and honor of our very self. Friends, what is or who is your utmost priority right now in your life? If it's not Jesus, can we pray and ask God to help us to fix our eyes upon him? We get the fact that Jesus is important, and for some of us, he is very important. He is up there. Some of us, it's not even, he doesn't even make it on the top ten list. But for some of us, he does make it, but he's not number one. Can we pray and ask God to help us to reorganize, to prioritize our lives so that we can seek him first above all else? Just like John the Baptist, I pray that we will be an arrow. We will all be arrows that point others to Jesus rather than pointing others to ourselves or anything else. Looking at this passage, I was a bit discouraged because as, you, as, as your pastor, I feel as though I lack so much in this area. I wish I can honestly say that I am a sharp arrow. Whenever you talk to me, I lead you to Jesus Christ. But I feel as though a lot of times I lack in that area. And I do apologize, I confess. I've heard so many comments throughout my life regarding how passionate I am or how convincing I am whenever I start talking about things like traveling or food or sports. They say my eyes light up, my voice gets, uh, I don't know, louder. I get so passionate when I talk about food. But I pray, if you can pray for me, that by God's grace, I too will be first and foremost seek to prioritize Jesus above all, that I will get the most excited and most passionate like fire in my eyes, I don't know, whatever it is, 
when I talk about Jesus compared to when I talk about anything else. So that through my personal seeking, others can also meet and encounter and follow Jesus. So first, seeking to prioritize Jesus above all else. And second, seeking to spend quality time with Jesus. Seeking to prioritize Jesus above all else. And second, seeking to spend quality time with Jesus. Now, after John's former disciples have been introduced to Jesus, the Lamb of God, they decided not to follow Jesus, meaning they have decided now to drop John the Baptist and not become followers of Jesus. However, Jesus throws a rather interesting question at them in verse 38. As they are following Jesus, I don't know how long that journey was, but as they are following Jesus in verse 38, this is what Jesus asked them. Jesus says, what are you seeking? This is interesting because you see all throughout Jesus' life and his ministry on earth, there were many who were following Jesus. Like the Jewish religious leaders, as well as the crowd, but for the wrong reasons, right? A lot of people were following Jesus, but for the wrong reasons. For the Jewish religious leaders, they were following Jesus because they wanted to corner him. They wanted to get him arrested, and ultimately they wanted to get rid of him, meaning they wanted to kill him. But for the crowd, they were just in it for the show. They didn't even know, and they could care less about who Jesus really was. All they cared about was being entertained by Jesus' miracles, by his show. So Jesus turns to these two men who have just decided to follow Jesus and asks, what do you want? What are you seeking? What is your motive in following me? To in which, to in which they respond back, not with an answer, but a question of their own. Isn't that weird? Like, have you ever like, asked someone a question and they ask you a question in return? That's what's happening, right? What are you seeking? And these disciples, they say, where are you staying? How's that? Right? What are you seeking? And they're like, where are you staying? Well, that word staying means where are you remaining? Now, we're not really sure what this means. Maybe it means like, oh, we'll wait. Well, where are you staying? Because we're going to wait and decide for ourselves once we spend a little time with you to see if we're really going to be... Then we'll tell you what we're really seeking. Or, where are you staying? Because wherever you will go, I will follow. We don't really know their motive. But despite their unknown motive, Jesus still invites them in verse 39 by saying, Come, and you will see. Come, and you will see. Now the writer of this gospel does not give us any more details regarding where they went, regarding what they ate, regarding what they did, other than the fact that it was about the 10th hour. Now, we don't really go by that clock, but 10th hour is 4 p.m. So, starting at 4 p.m., they spent the entire day together, although we don't know the full details of their hangout. I believe the significance of it is regarding how the two disciples spent uninterrupted quality time alone with Jesus Christ. Uninterrupted quality time alone with Jesus Christ. Friends, why do we believe in Jesus? Why do you come out to church on Sundays? If it is for any other motive than to spend quality time with Jesus, to get to know more of Jesus and to fellowship with Jesus, then we're no better than the crowd or the Jewish religious leaders. 
What separates these two disciples from the rest of the crowd and the Jewish religious leaders is that although they didn't fully know everything in their heads, although they weren't fully convinced, they took a step of faith to follow Jesus, to spend time with Jesus. And it was when they spent time with Jesus, uninterrupted quality time, alone with Jesus Christ, it was then when they experienced this sweet fellowship with Jesus. And through their fellowship with Jesus, they began to know more of who Jesus was. That Jesus was indeed the Messiah. That Jesus was indeed the Christ. That Jesus was indeed the Lamb of God. That Jesus was indeed everything that the Old Testament prophets were prophesying about. All the promises fulfilled in and through Jesus Christ. This is the Messiah. Friends, more often than not, in the world that we're living in today, many people want to be convinced before they commit. We want to be convinced. We want to be sure before we go all in. We want to be convinced before we commit. For example, I've heard many, many people say, I'll follow Jesus. I'll go all in. I'll, I'll be sold out for Christ if I can only fully understand everything there is to know about him. But friends, that's exactly the issue, right? It's like in any other relationship, right? If you guys, are, if you guys uh, have ever been in a relationship before, it's not like wanting to marry someone, right? Or it's not like, I'm going to wait until I marry this person. Well, I'm going to wait. I'm not going to marry this person until I know everything there is to know about who this person is. If you have that mindset, I'm sorry, you will never marry them because your entire life is not enough time for you to fully know that person. Right? If there's any of you who think this way, saying, I need to be fully convinced before I commit, please talk to the married couples of our churches. We can guarantee you that there is a whole lot more to that person after you get married. Because the reality is that the more you spend time with them, the more you get to know them. So yeah, maybe you spend the entire life getting to know them without committing. Friends, meaning the more you commit, the more you will be convinced. I think that's the relationship that you and I should have with Jesus Christ. A lot of us, we want to be convinced. right? We want to be sold. Won't you sell us? Is it really worth it to read the Bible every day? Is it really worth it to devote my life to live for Jesus? Is it really worth it to take some time out of my Busy schedules to read the Bible every day? Is it really worth it to come to church on Sunday when I can be doing something else? We want to be sold before we commit. But in reality, and look at the beginning of the church, the beginning of the first follower of Jesus Christ, they committed before they were convinced. Grace Fellowship, how many of us spend time with Jesus on a regular basis? We are a church, right? We are a church. Now, I'm not talking about praying before meals. Some of us don't even do that, but I'm not talking about praying before meals or coming to church on Sundays, but regular, uninterrupted, deep, alone, intimate fellowship with Jesus Christ. How many of us do that on a regular basis? Reading God's word and praying to God, asking him to speak to us through his word, thanking him for the things that he's been done, has done for us, experiencing the love, the grace, the mercy, the joy that he has showered upon us on a daily basis. How many of us have an intimate, personal relationship with Jesus Christ? 
Friends, this is a serious issue. We actually think we're okay in our walk with God. We actually think we're not that bad of a person. We're not that bad of a follower. And some of us actually think we don't really need to spend time with Jesus on a regular basis. Well, here and there, go to retreats, mission trip. Friends, the word Christian, if we're to decipher that, the word Christian means someone who belongs to Christ. Someone who belongs to Christ. Meaning you are His. Meaning you cannot live apart from Him. Meaning you are dependent fully on Him. So then are you His? Are we dependent fully on Jesus Christ? Are we Christians? May I encourage you to spend some quality time with Jesus today. I'm like, Pastor, I don't got time. I have so much going on in my life. You don't understand. I got work. I got to study. I have things I have to take care of. I'm not asking you to spend 24 hours with Jesus Christ. But if I can say, even the busiest person can spend 15 minutes in 24 hours. If you, if you say that you're committing to follow Jesus. I would say even five minutes is better than nothing. A chapter of the Bible is better than nothing. For those of you guys who are genuinely interested, let's read through the Bible together this year. All it takes, do you guys know, all it takes is three chapters a day. If you read three chapters of the Bible each day in 365 days, you'll go through the whole Bible. That's like, even the slowest of readers, that's like me, that's like less than 10 minutes a day. But if I can encourage you, I would pray. As you're reading the Bible, some of you guys just read the Bible as if you're reading any other book, as if you're reading a novel and you just close it so you can check it off. If I can encourage you, if you're, as you're reading the Bible, if I can encourage you to pray before you read, right? Ask God, God, won't you please speak to me through these words? Please speak to me the words that I need to hear. And then you read. And after you read, if I could encourage you to pray again. And as you pray, ask God. As you reflect upon the verses, ask God, God, please help me to apply these verses into my life. Some of you guys, you guys read like in the book of Numbers, and you're like, I just read three chapters. I have no idea what I just read. Read it again. Even if you read it for a hundred times, hundred times, like I still don't have no, I still don't have, I don't have any idea. I would pray, God, I have no idea what I just read, but I know it is the authority, I know it is the living word of God. Help me to make sense of this passage. For those of you guys who have zero desire, who have no desire to spend any time with Jesus, may you pray this morning and ask God to grant you a hunger and a thirst for more of Jesus. Amen. Ask God. Don't just complain. Don't just say, oh, I just, I don't really care. We're so stuck in this mundaneness of our lives, so stuck in this spiritual couch potato mindset of, I'm fine. I'm not that bad. I don't really need them that much. There's no spiritual hunger. My prayer is that we will learn to seek to spend some quality time with Jesus this year. 
So first, seek to prioritize Jesus before you. And second, seek to spend some quality time with Jesus. And last but not least, seek to actively participate. Actively participate in building his church. If you look at me in verse 40, what's happening in verse 40? If you look at verse 40, the two, of dis- two disciples that follow Jesus and spend time with Jesus, one of them named Andrew, immediately after he spends quality time with Jesus, goes to his brother Simon to share about how they found the Messiah, the anointed one, the Christ. Not only does Andrew share with his brother about Jesus, he leads them, he brings him to Jesus in verse 42. And as Andrew begins to spend time with Jesus, everything begins to click one by one. He was well aware of the Old Testament, but it didn't really hit home for him until he spent time with Jesus. For some of us, we go to church all our lives. We know all the Bible verses, we know all the Bible stories, but something clicks and things start to make sense, right? Once we believe in Jesus as the Lord and Savior. That was happening to Andrew. Andrew was realizing that Jesus was indeed the Messiah, the promised one that all the prophets of the Old Testament were talking about. And he didn't just keep the good news. He didn't just keep this gospel to himself. But we see that the first thing that he did was to go home, go to his brother Simon to share about Jesus and to bring him to Jesus. Friends, what today's passage reminds us is that once you become a follower of Jesus, once you become a disciple of Jesus, once you encounter Jesus on a personal, intimate level, and you spend quality, uninterrupted time with Jesus, you can't help but to share about Jesus with others. You can't help but to want to share about Jesus to others. You can't help but want to point others and bring others to Jesus. Friends, right here, this right here is the birth of the church. This is how the church started. As John the Baptist was faithful in his preaching about Jesus, people began to follow him. But once they encountered Jesus for themselves in a personal and intimate way, they began sharing about who Jesus was and began bringing others to Jesus. To be honest with you, our church is 10 years old. And I don't really know how this church began because I wasn't here for that. You guys, some of you guys were here. But I believe we can definitely use this passage as a springboard, as a benchmark to reform or to renew our church today. What do I mean by that? Friends, evangelism begins at home. Evangelism begins at home. Meaning, it starts with your family. And it might be the hardest mission field that God is calling us to. It is easier for us to go to Africa or go to the Middle East and share about Jesus and be like, oh, tell me more. But if you go to your parents who are not believers, if you go to your siblings, if you go to your, I don't know, relatives and you share about Jesus, they're like, what has gotten into you? What are you talking about? You're brainwashed. We feel hostility. For some of us, maybe it's our parents, our siblings, our extended families, or all of the above. And it, it's difficult for us to share about and talk about Jesus on a regular basis. Friends, Paul shares in Romans chapter 116. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. 
For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first for the Jews, meaning believers, and also to the Greek, unbelievers. Friends, are you ashamed to be a follower of Jesus? Are you ashamed of the gospel? Are you ashamed of Jesus Christ? If not, let's boldly declare his goodness. It is good news, right? If it is good news, then why are we not sharing? He's not asking us to convert people. Jesus is not asking us to go and change the world. I'm sorry. We don't have that power. He didn't equip us to change the world or convert somebody. No one has the power or the authority to do that. Only Jesus does. But he's simply asking us to do what John the Baptist did, which, is, which means to be an arrow that points others to Jesus. He's asking us to be, do what Andrew did, to share with others and to bring others to Jesus. And that's my prayer for our church. I'm not asking you to convert people. I'm asking you to simply bring them to church on Sunday. So they can share, they can hear the good news of Jesus Christ. I'll try my best to prepare a Christ-centered message. So when they come, they can experience the goodness of God, the goodness of Jesus Christ. And as we do that, Jesus will do the rest. I believe that's what, that's what Jesus is getting at in verse 42, right? Jesus gives Simon a new name, right? Look at verse 42. He says, he brought him to Jesus, and Jesus looked at Simon and said, you are Simon, the son of John? You shall be Cephas, which means Peter, right? That's so weird. Your brother, who has just gone crazy, talking about this new Messiah, brings you to Jesus, and as soon as you meet Jesus, he gives you a new name. What? Right? And this name, Cephas, means stone, a rock. Who wants to be called that? Right? But what's happening in today's passage is that as Jesus renames Simon as Cephas, something divine is happening. When you look through the Bible, starting from Genesis all the way to the Revelation, whenever God changes your name, something crazy is about to happen. Right? Abram, as well as Sarah, their names changed to what? Abraham and Sarah. Also, who else? Jacob, his name's changed to Israel. Who else? Paul, uh, Saul, his name changed to Saul. Similarly, in today's passage, Simon now becomes Cephas. Now, what does that mean? Simon was, very co- was a co- very common Jewish name. Okay? But when Jesus renames Simon, he gives him an Aramaic name, Cephas, which means rock or stone. But the reason why John, the author of today's passage, wrote in parentheses, which means Peter, is because he is writing to the Greek, people who are speaking Greek. People who are, this whole, this uh, Gospel of John was originally written in Greek, the Greek language. So, the word Cephas in Aramaic translated into Greek is Petros, which means Peter, which also means rock. So the significance of this name is to remind Peter, as well as everyone here today, and everyone who reads this passage, that Jesus is going to be the one who is the head of the church. Jesus is going to be the one who's going to be building his church, but he's going to build his church through people. He's going to build his church through, through Peter. 
If you read throughout the gospel, it doesn't take long for us to realize that Peter was not that great of a disciple, right? Uh, we have a lot of Peters in our, in our church. Um, your parents named you Peter for a reason. But before the death of Jesus, before the resurrection of Jesus, Jesus Peter was not that great. He did a lot of talking, not a lot of walking. Walked on water but for a little bit, right? He went as far as to rebuke Jesus, and he promised them that he would never deny Jesus, only to find out later on, we saw in our study of Matthew, in Matthew, that he not only denied Jesus three times, but even cursed Jesus during the trial. So the question we're going to ask is, why then does Jesus choose this guy out of all the people to give him the name Stone or Rock? I believe it's to remind us that Jesus is the one who's going to build his church. Jesus is the one who's going to build his church through imperfect people like Peter. The significance, the importance is Jesus who's going to build his church through Peter. He is going to equip Peter. He is going to empower Peter so that he may be the cornerstone figure of the church. This is both a promise and a declaration that I will build my church through imperfect people like Peter. So what does this mean for us, friends? One thing that we need to remind ourselves is that Jesus doesn't call the equipped. The greatest excuse that we can give is, I'm not ready. Pastor God, I don't think I'm ready to serve yet. He might be. He might be. I'm not ready. He does not call the equipped, but he equips those who he calls. What do I mean by that? This means he's not interested in those who have it all together. If you think you're ready to serve because you have it all together, if you think you have it, you're ready to serve because you're skillful, that you've got something to offer, then you're not ready. But rather, Jesus is interested in those who might not have it all together, who is broken, who is struggling with sin, who might make mistakes along the way, but they're willing. As a pastor, I'm not supposed to have favorites, but people that I pray for are people who are willing. Willing to serve in any way possible because they're serving the Lord. For some of us, we are willing to serve as long as we have a title. We are willing to serve as long as we receive some sort of compensation or reward. We are willing to serve as long as we get something in return. Jesus is not interested. We don't, we're not, we don't need those people to serve. They're not really serving. You're damaging the church more than you're helping the church. We need people who are willing and say, I got nothing to offer, but I'll do whatever you need me to do. Not what me to do, but whatever God needs me to do. Friends, Jesus is promising all of those people who feel unqualified, those who feel broken, who feel hopeless, who feel like a mistake, yet are willing to trust in Jesus and willing to serve in any capacity, he not only allows us to be part of his awesome community, but he equips us and empowers us to actively participate in building his church. I believe those people who will impact this generation, those people who will impact in building his kingdom, in building this church, are people who are simply willing. Not the most skilled, but willing. My prayer is that Grace Fellowship will be full of people that are willing to serve 
because we have first and foremost been served by God. Not people who calculate, worth my time, worth my energy. Not people who say, oh, I got, I got. Pastor Gunn, I used to, I used to be a small group leader in a youth group. I used to be a worship leader. I went up, you know how many mission trips I've been to? I got this. People who are humble and willing to serve in any capacity. So then going back to the original question, what are you seeking in year 2020? Um, a healthier you? A smarter you? A wealthier you? A more attractive you? My hope and prayer for each and every one of us is to seek Jesus above all else. To seek and know more of him in a deeper and intimate level that we have never experienced before. And to seek to participate in his kingdom work by building up his church. The more you seek Jesus, the more he will equip you and empower you to not only get to know him better, but also to bring others to Jesus. Friends, there is no greater joy. There is no greater privilege in life. There is no greater honor than to be used by God to bring somebody to Jesus Christ. It is the greatest And we see glimpses of that. My prayer for year 2020 is that each and every one of us will experience, will be able to experience that joy, will be able able to experience that great honor this year. Friends, this is how you strengthen the church. This is how you partake in God's kingdom work, the great commission, by seeking Jesus above all else, to love Jesus more, and to build his church. Pray together.